This morning, let me encourage you to open up um, your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter. We're going to be thinking again about image, uh, and hope, hopefully not just a silhouette, but a, but a, a fleshing out, a, a greater sense of clarity to image and identity than we have uh, been able to find these past many weeks. New England is uh, an interesting place in, in many respects. One of the, the unique features of this region of the country is its old buildings. There are lots of old houses, structures, public buildings, many of which are uh, only in, in partial, uh, partial degree, uh, partially renovated, that's what I'm trying to say, partially restored. And there is something tempting if you're good with your hands or if you have uh, a budget sufficient to the work to try to take one of these old houses or old buildings and bring it back to its original state. But I want you to imagine this scenario for a second. Imagine that you're one of these people who loves to restore old homes. You go out on the market, you find your dream home, you come to terms with the seller, you sign the purchase papers, and you're, you're just beginning to imagine what renovation is going to look like when you get a text message from the owner. And they tell you that they have one more item they'd like to sell you. They've just sold you their home. Now they'd like to sell you the original blueprints and sketches from when that old New England house was first built. And it's all yours if the price is right. And what would those original blueprints, what would those documents be worth to you uh, as someone interested in the, the business of restoration. I actually came across a, a real-world version of that story on a home renovation website, a discussion board, and a, a family mentioned there this exact scenario. They purchased an old home. It had a, a notable architect who had helped design it, and so they had these great visions of restoring it back to its former glory, but they had to negotiate with these uh, sellers to get hold of those original plans. And while that, that negotiation was exhausting and difficult for them, it also highlighted just how valuable those plans truly were. Because if they had them, they could know which walls were original, which walls they could knock out. They would know what was under every floorboard in that home. They would know where all the original plumbing and wiring went. In short, that set of blueprints and documents gave them a crystal clear image of what it was they were looking to restore, what they were working back to. Last week, we spoke at length about the things we are longing to be restored in us, things we're longing to recover. Sort of the, the blueprints of our soul and spirit and personal identities. But in many ways, we're still searching for those images of, of design, of intention, those original sketches of our humanity. And even with all the, the hope that Isaiah's message, Isaiah 44 last week, provided about a, a day of future flourishing, a day when God would pour out his spirit on human flesh in a new way, 
In some ways, that, that promise of Isaiah deepens our sense of longing, of our, our pangs, right? To see that image, that promise fulfilled. This morning, I want to invite you to open, I hope with fresh eyes, to the New Testament today, to the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And as we look at the third chapter of Luke, I want us to consider what this story, what these images reveal to us about a picture, a blueprint, an image of our recovered humanity. So we open to the Word of God, let me pray for us, that it might have power to reveal its truth to us. Lord Jesus, you are the Word of God made flesh, the Word of God that comes to us, that interrupts us, but also seeks to restore us. Lord, I pray that as we open into the living Word of God today, that the words of my mouth as I preach, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. So this is Luke 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 21. But at the start of chapter 3, we're introduced to John the Baptist. And Luke tells us that it was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar that the the word of God came to John, it says, at the start of chapter 3. And John sensed God's call to begin preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people of Israel begin responding to that message. And we arrive uh, here in verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then we get this long extended genealogy of which I'll just give you some snippets this morning. He was thought son of Joseph, son of Heli. We go through to 31, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. On to verse 34, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. And then on into 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke 3, I think, is an important identity text as the Gospels start to do their work in us. And today we've chosen it in part because we're entering into the first week, the first Sunday of Lent. And Lent is this this season where we're we're 
marking out, we're, we're signaling to ourselves that we're beginning to make this journey toward the cross and toward the glory of Easter morning. As we make that journey together, though, we're also going to be shifting the focus of our study or our search for identity here uh, as, we, as we meet together on Sunday morning. For the past seven weeks, for the first part of this new year, we have been asking this sort of fundamental identity question. Right? We've been asking, who am I? And we've looked at, at the creation story in Genesis. We've looked throughout the Old Testament at passages trying to, to arrive at some semblance of, of an idea or at least how to formulate that question more clearly. But for the next seven weeks, from now until Easter morning, I want to consider a person who offers us an answer to that question. Someone who calls himself the I am. And I think that speaks deeply to this question of who, I, who am I. We're going to be studying then the image and the identity of Jesus. And our hope is that in doing so, we might come to a place where we more greatly identify ourselves with who he is. We're attempting to answer the question of identity by identifying with Jesus today. And so today we are starting out with what is, I'm sure, a very familiar passage about the baptism of Jesus. But I think in the baptism of Jesus, Luke is beginning to make his case for why we need to know Jesus better. We need to be better acquainted with this person. If we go back to the start of chapter 3 that I, I alluded to before we read this passage... You see in chapter 3, verse 3, again, that John has gone out to the Jordan River to preach a baptism of repentance. And so essentially, the people that are coming to John are coming there to the water to make a confession. Right? They're, they're, they're confessing that they are broken people. It's tied up, it's bound up in this act of baptism. They're, they're damaged goods. They're people who need a, a recovery to be made on their behalf. They need to be turned around, reoriented, right, rediscovered as, as individuals and collectively as a nation. It's a baptism of repentance. And so Luke tells us we get these huge crowds coming to Jesus at the river. I'm sorry, coming to John at the river. Likely hundreds, maybe on some occasions even thousands of people. And coming and, and saying, basically, we have a problem. Right? We need help. We need deliverance from the, the place we feel stuck in. Coming to John with a kind of desperation. And then we get to the part of Luke 3 here in verse 21 where it says... That as all the people, as all these massive crowds are coming to John at the river, one day Jesus shows up as well in that same place. And Luke tells us that Jesus, as all the people are there getting baptized, Jesus decides to get baptized too. Now, as many times as you've read this story, have you ever asked the question, 
why is Jesus going into the water? Why is he getting baptized? It's a question worth thinking about. And in fact, if you go over to Matthew's treatment of this same story, we find that John the Baptist asks that very question of Jesus. He actually tries to, to keep Jesus out of the water. He says, Jesus, what are you doing? You can't be baptized by me. I should be baptized by you. John knows maybe because of his family connection to Jesus that this is Jesus, the righteous one. This is Jesus who we hope to be the Messiah of Israel. Jesus, the one who the angels prophesied would save his people from their sin. Why would Jesus get in a muddy river full of dirty sinners? Broken people. Well, it seems that it's precisely because it's a river full of broken people, stuck and in need of help, that Jesus chooses to enter that river. It's why he's there. Baptism, it turns out, is Jesus' way of identifying with us in our humanity. There's a wonderful New Testament scholar and writer of commentaries named Dale Bruner. It's wonderful to hear teach. And he considers the baptism of Jesus the first miracle of Jesus. And he says it's the miracle of Jesus' humility. Bruner writes, the first thing Jesus does for the human race is to go down with it into the deep waters of its repentance and baptism. first miracle of the Gospels, at least in Luke's account, is that we can identify with Jesus because he's chosen to identify with us. In our baptism of repentance, Jesus meets us. And so as, as the crowds, as the people come to that river confessing their need for help, confessing their lostness, confessing their own identity crisis, Jesus shows up to meet them. Jesus comes in solidarity to enter into our humanity. But there's also something powerful, something unique that happens about when Jesus goes into those waters. Right? Jesus, as he enters the waters of baptism, transforms them. When Jesus enters the waters, right, they're an expression of brokenness, of sin, of repentance, of, of things that need to be made up for, of deficits in the human condition. But as Jesus exits those waters, right, the waters of baptism become a place where the true image of humanity is revealed. Right? We get invited to enter into who he is in that moment. And Luke tells us that in the moment that Jesus comes out of the water, as he begins to exit the river, the heavens are torn apart. And that, that spirit that Isaiah prophesied about, this, the pouring out of spirit on God's people, is poured out in an in a, in a unbelievable way, right? in a full measure on the person of Jesus here first. 
And as the Spirit comes to rest on Jesus, we hear the voice of his Father in heaven proclaiming, You are my Son, who I love, and with you I am well pleased. Think about what those words mean. What identity they communicate about Jesus. Jesus, in the, the one moment he's entering into, he's identifying with our broken humanity in the waters of baptism. In the next moment, in that act of identification, then the Father chooses to identify with Jesus and to say of him, you are my true son. You are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. Jesus is receiving, he's hearing both his true identity, but also, I think, the identity that God longs to speak over us, over all God's children. Dale Bruner, who I just quoted a few moments ago, says, this is the most surprising gift of God. That as human beings, we can also have the favor that Jesus himself enjoys as God's unique son. Right? The gift of Jesus' sonship, the, Jesus, the, the gift of Jesus' identity and affirmation in this moment of his baptism is not one he desires to, to reserve for himself. It's one he wants to draw us into. I think each of us desperately long to hear those words spoken over us. You are my true son. You are a true daughter. To hear probably our own parents, but also the voice of our Heavenly Father say, You are one I love. and you I am well pleased. Maybe you've never heard those words spoken over you. I think what the Gospels want to communicate, what they want to teach us, is that we have an opportunity for those to be spoken to us if we would choose to identify with Jesus. Jesus has chosen. He's shown up at the river to identify with us. But we, in turn, must choose to receive his identity, to put on what God says of him, put it on ourselves as well to enter into that sonship. And on the one hand, that, that may sound strange at some level, a vicarious identification. But in a very real way, right, what, what does the New Testament communicate but over and over again that the process of being and becoming a disciple is a process of adoption? A process where Jesus himself says we're, we're meant to become like a child all over again. A process by which we get grafted into Jesus' own family line and lineage. To be a disciple of Jesus is to get a new name. It's to get a new creation identity. And so here, at the end of chapter 3, Luke, I think, does something really interesting. He's just told us about Jesus' act or, or, or choice to come be baptized, to identify with us. Then he tells us about 
God's identification with Jesus as his true son, following that act of baptism, identifying him as, as the true son of the, the Father in heaven. And then Luke closes the third chapter by giving us a genealogy that explores the sonship of Jesus more fully. And he begins in verse 23 by telling us, by reckoning us uh, to us the, the name of Jesus as the son of Joseph. But he wants to pursue that backward. He wants to, to take us back to see how Jesus' sonship also connects him to King David and his line. He wants us to understand that Jesus' true sonship connects him to Abraham and the patriarchs. And he, he wants to go even further back than that. He says that because of Jesus' true sonship, he's also connected to Seth, the son of Adam, and to Adam, the son of God. It's as though Jesus' sonship connects him all the way back to Eden and to what was lost and broken there. And I think this is, at least in part, helping prepare us to see what Jesus' mission, what Jesus' ministry is all about. Right? We're taken back through the family history, the family lineage of Jesus, so that we might understand how Jesus will go about recovering that lost identity. Can we move our slide ahead one? This section is all about how Jesus will restore our true identity. Right? In Jesus, God has chosen to become human flesh, to be born into this family line, born a son of Adam, so that he can take back what Adam forfeited. As the Apostle Paul will put it in 1 Corinthians, in Adam all will die, but in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus is restoring true identity. Jesus is that blueprint. Jesus is that image of what we were created to be. So we must know him. We must gaze upon him. We must find in him our deep sense of who we are. I want to finish this morning by giving you this wonderful analogy from the church father, Athanasius. Athanasius was the, the great... Uh, African church father from Alexandria in the 4th century, he wrote the classic On the Incarnation. And there's a section in that treatise where he compares human identity to a beautiful portrait painted by a master artist. And this beautiful portrait, Athanasius says, over time comes to be stained and, and marred and damaged. And he asks the question, if you're a, an artist who painted this incredible picture, but there's all these stains that have come to, to, to rest upon it, what would you do with that painting? Would you just dispose of it? Would you throw it away? Athanasius says, no, the artist would not throw away the panel. He says, but the subject of the portrait would have to come and sit again once more. And then the likeness of that person 
could be redrawn on the same material. Athanasius says, even so was it with the all-holy Son of God. Jesus, the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind made after himself. So we come and we're going to spend an extended season, a couple months, in the Gospels. I want us to be thinking about Jesus as that living image. Yes, he is the Son of God, but he's also imaging to us what God desires us to be. What God desires to to recover, to draw back out of us or, or into us. As we increasingly identify with his Son. If we want to find ourselves, we must identify with the one who shows us new creation humanity. If we want to find our identity, we must get to know Jesus, the second Adam. We must get to know his sonship and let it become our own place of identity as a child of God. So as we move into some time to pray and reflect this morning, I want you to think about this, to pray into this just for even three or four minutes today. How can you choose to let Jesus be your identity? Where where do you need to enter into what God says about Jesus to allow God to speak those things over you and to receive them as your own? Let's take some time to pray and then we'll, we'll pray together in just a moment. Would you pray together with me? Lord, we come confessing as a people that we are, are broken and busted up. Our identities call out for rescue. Lord, our our family lines are ones that are marked by many gifts but can also be marked by deep wounds. Lord, we've chosen to believe and receive things about ourselves that are untrue, that are not in keeping with the son or the daughter you have formed and fashioned us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that in the voice of Jesus, the pouring out of his spirit upon each one of us and upon this church family, that we would come with our own struggle, our own emptiness, our own need for identity, and that that would posture and poise us to receive fully who you are, Jesus. To be grateful for the humanity you possess and offer freely to each one of us. Lord, we pray on behalf of our church family for those that we love and long to see the work of restoration and healing take root in. Lord, we continue to pray for Carol Hassler this morning. We're thankful for her surgery. Thankful that she is recovering. We pray that she would
be able to come home even today from the hospital and continue her recovery there. Lord, we pray for the other places and things in us that maybe we haven't even spoken to others or shared out loud, but would just invite the ministry of your Spirit's presence to begin healing in a new way today. Pray these things in your strong and mighty name, Jesus. Amen.